Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at antiochatx.com. Now here's Pastor J.D. Griffin. Good morning, everybody. Man, are you just thankful for what God's doing in this place? I, 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 it's sometimes important for me just to pause and stop and realize what's happening. I mean, it's a, a beautiful thing what God is doing in our city. And I think one of the cool pictures that we have this morning about that is that one of my heroes is actually in the house, uh, and his name is Dan Davis. So Dan Davis, can you come on out on the, on the stage here with me here? Come on. I don't know. You don't know who he is yet, but you need to honor this dude. You know, every once in a while, you, you get to meet a real hero, and, and that really is who Dan is to me. Uh, for those of you guys who do not know who he is, he is basically the father of everything uh, that's happening that brings glory to Jesus in this city. And uh, that sounds like an exaggeration, but I'm actually probably selling him short on that. Um, and uh, he has been right in the middle of what God has been doing here in Austin for many years. And, and I just want to say it, at our first service this morning, I got the opportunity to honor him. I just want to do it again because, um, you know, he started a Bible study in 1970 on UT's campus before it was cool to be a Jesus pioneer in Austin. And he paved the way for us. And, and out of that Bible study, our South Campus was birthed. And out of that DNA stream, here we are today. And, and so in a lot of ways, um, we are the fruit of his risk, of his steps of faith, of him being obedient to what God has called him to do. Not only do we get to be a new young church that is literally riding on the coattails of what he foraged forward for us in this city, uh, but he also serves as a great hope source for us, a wisdom pool for us, a absolute resource. He's been there, done that. I mean, I got to spend a few minutes with him this morning before our first service in the South, and I was just like, whoa, dude, just like five minutes, and like, okay, everything's not different. Um, need to make sure that I'm actually saved. You know what I mean? It's just kind of like, uh, it just one sentence, and it's just the weight of the authority on his life. And so we just kind of want to give him a couple minutes and give honor where honor's due and get out of his way and just let him share from his heart. Are you guys cool with that? You know, I really like JD. From the first time I, you know that sensation when you meet somebody and something clicks and say, this is a good guy? Have that relationship with him. He's a good guy. I love the church in Austin, and there's only one church in Austin that meets in many different places, has many different ways of expressing itself, but, you know, the church is a body of Christ. There, there are not a lot of little bodies of Christ running around the city. There's, there's only one, and we're part of it. And I am, I'm so pleased to bless the Antioch churches here, north and south. And I really want you, know, you to know that there's a hole in this city that God ordained you to fill. 
So you're here as part of God's ordained purposes. Turn to the person next to you and say, I belong here. Tell them that. <laughs> I want to pray a blessing over the church. So if you would, just hold your hands open in the posture of receiving a blessing. In the name of Jesus, I bless you all. I bless you going out and you're coming in. I bless the integrity of the gifts God has given you. I pray that you would freely express those gifts, that there would be no hesitation, that there would be a great sense of excitement, purpose, and what God has called you to do. I pray that this church would, would multiply many different times. Lanier High School is not nearly big enough to hold you. And I, I say these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I do. I love you. I like you, and I love you. Well, that was a privilege. Um, I, I'm. I, I knew he was going to do that because he did it in the South. I'm still. Um, you know, we talked about how honor is our language. You know, and I think when you 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 experience it. It makes a ton of sense. And what Dan really represents is the legacy that follows a surrendered life. Like when he stands here and, and prays a blessing over us, and you're like, whoa, you feel the words. And it's because his whole life has been about giving to and giving back to the city that he loves and, and to the people that God's put in front of him. And, and his, you know what it really is? It's his generosity that is creating an atmosphere for us to encounter a side of the heart of God that maybe we just haven't known before. And, and if you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Luke Six, starting in verse 37, it says, don't judge and you'll not be judged. Don't condemn and you'll not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You know, this morning we're kind of putting the bow on the, the top of the package of the series that we've been in over the past seven weeks called Build the House. And we're talking about how generosity is our standard. Generosity is our standard. Now, if you're anything like me, you hear that word generosity and immediately your brain just goes to money, right? It goes to resources. And, and, and rightfully so, because honestly, Jesus was right when he said, where your treasure is, your heart is also. Like our, our money speaks to what we're passionate about. But, but our generosity is so much more than just our finances. Living a generous life is so much more about how we live open-handed with 
who we are, what we've been given, the gifts that we've received along with our resources, but it's living open-handed. That's what matters. That's what generosity is way more than just making it rain. Some of you guys don't know what that expression means, but Google it. You know, I've got four kids. You guys know this. Um, Three of them are the same age, as I often say. That means pray for me, all right? Now, the three that are the same age are actually all nine years old. Now, what's crazy about nine, and I'm just learning this, is I feel I don't have any scientific evidence, just experience, okay? But I feel like the age of nine, you step into the negotiation spirit. The spirit of negotiation, right? It's like my, my kids are masterful negotiators, especially when somebody gets something that they didn't get. Okay, look, I mean, one of our, uh, like maybe my son Tate needs a new pair of shoes. We get him a new pair of shoes. We come home from the store. My living room is turned into the floor of the United Nations. And every child is giving their two cents about how the funds need to be allocated across everybody so that it's all equal and fair. You know what I mean? It's like this negotiator. It's just like, man, if you throw sugar in the mix, whoa. I mean, like, for real, like, this is, you, we're talking about it, ice cream? We're going to go to blows over ice cream? You know, but here's the thing. I got to be honest with you. We try to keep it real fair at the Griffin House. We do. Now, we do have a phrase right? And is that fairness died in the garden. So that's legit. Okay. So anybody starts throwing fairness, I'm just like, that went away a long time ago. Right. And be honest with you, I'm a sinner. Okay. I, I, I have a hard time sometimes controlling my emotions and my kids are just like, what about the answer? What about the answer? How can he, you know, I'm just like, all right, you want fair? This is fair. Give me everybody's candy. I throw everyone's candy in the trash. I'm like, now that is fair. No one has any candy. You know why it drives me crazy? It's not because I don't want things to be fair. Of course I want things to be equal. Of course we do hard work, actually, to try to make sure that the kids kind of all get around the same stuff and have all the same, their needs are all met and they have what they need to do what they're passionate about. Of course, like that, we obsess about it, right? Like we, as a parent, it's like, man, I want to do that. It's not that I don't want things to be fair. My, it's the motivation of my kids' hearts that just, ooh. because it's not about fair. You know how I know it's not about fair? When they, when, okay, let's just say Kevin, one of my sons, he gets more ice cream than everyone else. Kevin has never said, Dad, I got more than Tate, Dad. And you know, because my heart is for things to be fair, can you give Tate some more ice cream? That has never been said in my house, your house, anyone's house. Because the motivation is actually not for fair. The, the motivation is, can I get mine? That's what it is. We, we, we cover it up in this deal of equality and sharing. And, but the truth is, is that we're all just trying to, like, get our own. And, and that's what drives me crazy is because I'm just like, look, you don't, you're, you're saying fair. You don't mean fair. What you're saying is you want more. And, and, and that's what kind of twists on me a little bit. and It, it just kind of gets in my skin, and I'm just like, oh. And, and as a dad, I'm just like, you're missing the whole point. 
Because what that feels like is it, it, it's the opposite of generosity. It's greed. Like, and greed is, is, a, is a dangerous thing. And greed's dangerous for multiple reasons, one of which is it wars against one of the clearest biblical principles that Jesus gives us. The second is, is it robs us from the ability from living open-handed with what we have, believing that God will meet our needs. Because greed in and of itself will cause us to chase after a satisfaction that we cannot achieve. There's a philosopher named Erich Fromm. He's a German-American, and he defines greed incredibly clearly. He says, greed is the bottomless pit which exhausts the person in an endless effort to satisfy the need without ever reaching satisfaction. Can I just read that again? Because, man, you want to talk about a clear statement of how greed causes this, this hunger in us that is never satisfied? I mean, this is it. It's a bottomless pit with exhaust a person in an endless effort to satisfy the need without ever reaching satisfaction. Have you felt that, that bottomless pit that greed leads you down. I mean, here's the thing. The truth is, is that we all have a tendency to try to protect what we have. The human nature is to protect what we have. That, that was birthed actually when sin entered the world, when Adam and Eve sinned at the very beginning of time, and they brought into play this whole dynamic that was outside of the perfect plan of God, which was a separation between God and man because of their own rebellious need to be their own God. And so that separation, and they're walking through the garden, and they used to walk hand in hand with God, and right on the back end of them making that decision to sin and separate themselves from God's plan and try to make their own plan they did two things they hid and they covered themselves because that's what sin does sin causes you to have to hide and cover yourself because in Adam and Eve's case sin pushed them outside of the covering of God and it revealed the human need that they were made for to be covered by God but outside of the covering God before the restorative nature of Jesus they had to cover themselves it's called self-protection like the human desire to self-protect is ultimately rooted in this same thing with greed. I mean, we've, we've all felt that deal of just like, man, it is like a bottomless pit. Because it's like, oh man, if I could just get this, then I'll feel safe. Have you guys ever bought that lie? Man, if I could just get that, then, then I'm going to feel safe. If I get that dollar amount, now I'm going to feel like my, my future is secure. If I can just have this many friends, okay, now I feel like I'm known. And then you get that many friends or you achieve that dollar amount and you're just like, oh, I, that actually didn't satisfy it. I need more. I, I thought that was going to be it, but I, and it's just that digging that bottomless pit. And you're like, man, if I could just get to 10 feet, then I'm going to feel safe. And then you're like, get to 10 feet, you feel just as insecure because greed does not satisfy that need in you to ultimately have the question answered, am I Okay. All of this is, is, is circled in really in that question. Am I okay? Am I going to be taken care of? Does somebody see me? Am, are my needs going to be taken care of? And, and the, the temptation in that question in us is to answer it by digging that bottomless pit of trying to satisfy that need by burying the very things that maybe we're called to give. 
And the reason why greed is so detrimental to our hearts is because, like I said, it wars against this kingdom principle of reaping and sowing. Because just like we read in Luke 6, Jesus alluded to this principle when he says, give and it will be given to you. This is completely opposite of what greed and the temptation to hoard and protect and self-protect communicates to us because we have that need to, to, to satisfy that question of, am I going to be okay? And, and Jesus is like, given it will be given to you. Maybe there's a connection to the openness of our hands and the security of our hearts. Maybe the security of our hearts that we're longing for, that we're, we're scrapping for, that all the things that we're longing, maybe there's a connection actually to giving and receiving what we need. Reaping and sowing. Galatians 6 verse 7 says, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary of doing good. I love that verse. Because that just drives in the face of everything you feel in culture about living right and doing right and, and, and living a righteous life. You just I love it. It's like, don't ever get tired of it. Don't get weary of doing good. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to a fam the family of believers. We're, we're going to reap what we sow. Can, can you see how greed wars against this? Because greed is driving us to try to get more, hold on to more, protect what we have so that we can have more. And the kingdom of heaven is the opposite. It's like give and it will be given to you. It's the provision found in surrender. It's that upside down kingdom. That as we give, we will receive. This is a this changes everything type of revelation, amen? I mean, we really begin to grab hold of this because it does expose the way that we're trying to answer that question of, are we okay? Am I gonna be okay? Am I? Because what it does is it puts God on the throne and not us. It, it says, God, you're in control and, and the way that your kingdom works is how I want my life to work. And that surrendering to God being in control not only brings a freedom to our hearts and our souls and our minds, but it also brings a freedom to what we're holding in our hands. We, we, we begin to live that open-handed, surrendered life. And then when we do that, it creates a boat wake of transformation out of our lives. You know, Jesus walked through a series of stories kind of giving us a window into the kingdom of heaven. And he would tell these stories that are known as parables. And he'd be like, the kingdom of heaven is like. And he would tell these stories to help us understand what heaven's like. Like, what does it feel like? What's it look like? What does it taste like when heaven invades earth? When the principles of heaven become manifest down here on earth? Like, where are the rub points? How is it going to rub against our 
culture? How's it going to disrupt what we know to be normal? And as he's telling these stories, in Matthew 25, he tells a story of some people that got given some gifts from their master and how they utilized those gifts reflected a part of their understanding of who God is and how God wants to use us on the earth. Matthew 25, starting in verse 14, this is a quite a large chunk of scripture, but just hang in with me. It says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Isn't that amazing? Like, first of all, this is Jesus telling us, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And it says that there was a master and he called his servants and he entrusted them with his wealth. He gave them all that he had. He demonstrated trust and generosity to his servants. And it says, the one he gave five bags of gold, another two, and another one, and each according to his ability, and then he went on his journey. The men who received five bags of gold went at once, put the money to work, and gained five more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled the accounts with them. And the men who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained you five more. His master replied, well done good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man who had two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained you two more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things and I will put you in charge of many things Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went off and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. And his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I had harvested where I hadn't sown and gathered where I had not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received back interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, Jesus tells this story to us to expose that tendency, that human tendency in all of us to take what we've been given and to bury it so we don't lose it. And and we buy into that temptation when we don't understand who our master is. Because the, the, the man that was given one bag of gold, he had a misunderstanding of who his master was. He says, I knew you to be a hard man. 
I, I knew you to harvest where you hadn't sown in our language to make that make sense to where we're coming from. He's saying, I, I didn't see you to be fair. I, I didn't see you to make fair decisions. I didn't fully understand why you, you did some things the way that you did them, why you went about some things the way that you went about them. So I don't know if I can trust you. I, 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 I perceive you to be a hard, unfair man. So I'm going to take this one bag of gold that you gave me, and for fear, I'm going to bury it in the ground so that I don't lose it. This is really, this is greed. I've been given something. I'm going to bury it. I'm going to hide it because I don't want to lose it. And man, this is so much bigger than our money. Because God has given us so many gifts and talents that are so much bigger than our checkbooks. And I think sometimes it's easier, easier for us to think about this concept of generosity by isolating it to money. But it becomes a lot more complex when you take it out of the isolation of money and say, what of my giftings, what of the things that God has put in me have I buried in the ground? And for self-protection, be, because I, I don't want to be hurt and I need to make sure that I'm okay and that I'm taken care of and it's really risky for me to be really who I am. So I'm just going to bury my gifts and talents in the dirt. And then at the end of it all, I'm going to come back and be like, see, I still got it. See, generosity bleeds way further than our resources. Yes, our money will reveal if we're generous for sure, but it is not the only indicator of generosity. Generosity has to do with how we live. Are we living open-handed with what we've been given? Are we living self-protected for fear of what we might lose? If we don't have an understanding that our master, Jesus, is a provider, we will constantly live from a place of scarcity, breeding this greed culture that will make us think that I have to get mine and take care of me. That's basically the same lie that this man believed about his master, is that God is like a harsh man who doesn't like to give good things to his kids. And if we come at it from the other standpoint of saying, no, we're going to believe that our master is, is a provider, that he's kind, that he wants to lavish good things upon his kids, then now I don't have to worry about what I have. I can freely give it because I know that God is going to give back to me. Give and it will be given to you. This, this concept of beginning to understand that there is a connection in reaping and sowing and internal satisfaction and freedom, I think is going to unlock some power in our lives. Because I think sometimes we walk around and we feel stuck, we feel suffocated, we feel like we're in a losing fight, and what we're trying to do is protect ourselves in it when God's saying, given it will be given to you. Maybe we need to take what we have and in our place of need, we need to give and see the giving unlock a breakthrough that is going to lead to abundance in our lives. And I just want to say that there is nothing more powerful than a church living open handed with a secure heart. There's nothing more powerful than a group of people that understand that our God will meet all of our needs according to his glorious riches in heaven. And therefore, it doesn't matter what I've been given. I can freely give it because that promise remains the same no matter what I feel like I have or not. 
and understanding what generosity will do to us internally, I think is going to open us up to a new level of authority in our city and a place of influence that is beyond our ability to ask, hope, or imagine because generosity has a momentum to it all its own. A church living open-handed and saying, I'm confident in who my master is. I'm confident in who he's called me to be. And therefore, I can freely give my resources, my time, my input, my wisdom. I can just give it away because I can't ever outgive him. I can just keep giving because he is faithful. And and it says that I'm going to actually have poured into my lap the measure that which I have used. What if our city is waiting for us to start living open-handed? Because I actually believe that there is enough homes, enough loving homes for every orphan in our city to be put in. I don't think that we have a lack of loving homes. I think we have a lack of people living open-handed. I think there's enough food to feed every hungry belly in our city. That hunger could be eliminated in a day. And it's not some government program. It's the people of God living generous with their lives. Look, you know this because you throw money at a problem and it creates more problems. You throw people at a problem and God brings a solution. And a lot of times it's people intervening into the chaos of life, living generous with what they have and their skills and their talents and their resources that unlock something in our city and people begin to say, I don't know what that is, but I need it. Because generosity and breakthrough work together. Oftentimes, God will demonstrate generosity to us on the front end of a breakthrough. Generosity of a spirit. Sometimes generosity of your finances. Sometimes generosity of friendship. But God always connects the two. He puts us in an environment of generosity and it evokes a momentum of breakthrough that affects our lives. It's the multiplication factor of giving what we have, of living open-handed in that boat wake of impact beginning to break down the false, am I going to be okay question and answering it with the biblical answer of given it will be given to you. We're not going to find security in having more, I promise you. We're going to find security in knowing him more. And knowing him more is going to position us to be able to live a radically generous life. Because there's nothing more powerful than a church being generous. You know, we've gotten to experience this. One of my favorite things about who we are is that we're a radically generous church. I I mean, I just, it brings me to tears hearing story after story of just you guys just extravagantly meeting each other's needs, loving on each other, being there for each other. It's, it's It's an absolute mind blow to see the church be the church, you know? I mean, there's just like nothing like it. And I remember we had just started the church and actually Moses had moved down with us to start the church. And I didn't even know this at the time, but like he was having some trouble raising funds. So he like sold almost everything that he had, including his guitar. He had this really nice guitar. Moses is our worship guy. He needs a guitar. And I didn't even know this, but he was like borrowing guitars to lead worship at all the different Antioch things that we were doing. And after being at church for a couple of months, a guy named Michael Spencer calls me who goes to our South Campus. And he says, hey, J.D., I feel like God is saying that we need to buy Moses a guitar. 
And I'm like, dude, I'm in. Let's go. You know, like, let's let's do it. And so we just started spreading the word and saying, hey, guys, look, Moses has a need. Let's meet this need. And, and Michael's like, let's not just get him a guitar. Let's get him, like, the guitar he never thinks he'll be able to get. I'm like, I'm in it. So our little church, you have to understand, our church has grown so much in two years, but our little church at that point was like 120 people, and 120 people raised $4,000. I thought it was $3,000. Michael corrected me after the first service. He's like, no, bro, it was $4,000. And our little church raised $4,000, and Michael went and picked out Moses' dream guitar. And at the end of worship one Sunday, a few of you guys were there, Michael comes walking from the back holding the guitar like it's like Simba, you know? We bring Moses to the front and we're like, Moses, do we believe in the call of God on your life? We believe that you're called to lead us into this worship movement that God has in store for our church. And we want to put our money where our mouth is. Here's your dream guitar, that very guitar right there. And I'll tell you, there wasn't a dry eye in the place. It was a powerful moment. But you know what was more important even than that? It was what happened after. Because generosity is contagious. And there was this, like, this season of like radical giving that happened all over the church where people were just like, you couldn't even, you had to be careful to say if you needed something, somebody was going to do it. So you'd be like, man, I need to guard my words and make sure I don't say that I, you know, just something I like, you know, because then you just show up and you're like, oh, whoa, okay. But it was amazing because that's what happens though. When generosity is demonstrated, it breeds generosity. That's why I believe that this is such a hidden key for us in seeing transformation happen in our city because it breeds generosity. When you, are, when you demonstrate generosity, it breeds generosity. And so we can go into our place of work, we can go into our classroom, demonstrate generosity, and people that don't even know this kingdom principle are going to say, I want a piece of that, and then they're going to start demonstrating generosity. We see this happen all the time. It used to be in vogue, and now it's like kind of like old school thing to do. But like you pay for the people's coffee behind you in Starbucks, and like there's these stories of it going like 50 to 60 cars deep. Of like, I'll pick up their tab. I'll pick up their tab. Why? Because generosity breeds generosity. And generosity unlocks the momentum in the spirit that I believe God wants to use to bring transformation to our city. Because generosity is our standard. And I believe that when Paul wrote in Philippians 4.19 that God shall meet all of your needs according to his riches and his glory in Christ Jesus, that he wrote that for all of us. How many of you have pray, prayed that in your time of need? Anybody? Anybody had a time of need and you're like, whoa, Philippians 4.19, here I go. Lord, you meet my needs. And right? Well, what if, what if it wasn't just for you? What if it was for everybody? What if we lived thinking like, well, this is for everybody, that God wants to meet everybody's needs and he wants to use the vessel of people living open-handed with what he's given them to see breakthrough happen through them. And, and so what we want to do this morning is we actually want to take a huge risk, a massive step and say, you know what? We don't just want to hear about it. We want to be about it. And we know that in this room, there are some serious needs, some small, some big. Some of you don't know how you're going to eat lunch this afternoon. Some of you need a new car. Some of you are believing for mag me mega things to happen in your business. There's everything in between. You might need emotional breakthrough. You might need breakthrough. But you're just here this morning and you're like, man, I need God to provide into my soul. Because here's what I believe, that if you have a need and we're a family, then the answer to that need is in this room.